Hundreds of thousands of Eagles fans flocked to downtown Philadelphia today to celebrate the Eagles' first Super Bowl championship and our very own Eagles fans. Brandon Holvec and Amid Quadri will explain what this means for the city of Philadelphia coming up on Blue Hen Sports Cage. This is WVUD and WVUD HB1 Newark. Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Teddy Gelman. I feel like I need to stand up in studio here and kind of experiment with how that would work. Brandon Halvek. Their whole defensive line has been arrested once or twice over the past two years. Ahmed Quadri. Yankees are fun to watch, end quote. That's it. That's all I ever said. And Jake Lampert. Eat more chicken. There you go. I'll throw a slogan in there if anyone here is uh, working for Chick-fil-A and wants to throw me some sandwiches. It's Sports Talk Radio on 91.3 WVUD. Welcome to the cage. With Jake Lampert, Brandon Holvec, and Amid Quadri, I'm Teddy Gelman. We have an action-packed show, but we're going to jump right in. Amid and Brandon were both at the Eagles Super Bowl parade today, and we want to hear about it. It was amazing. Quite possibly currently living one of the best days of my life. Absolutely. The the atmosphere is exactly what you would expect from a Philadelphia Super Bowl parade. Quite possibly the most electric, amplified, lit Super Bowl parade or any championship parade ever. In the millions. Highlighted by Jason Kelsey's speech, which we'll get to. But my personal experience with it was pretty incredible. Um, was down toward the start of the parade. So didn't see everything live that went on at the Art Museum steps, but kind of saw the athletes' first reactions to seeing how many people were actually there. So it seemed like later in the parade, you know, it's a long route. They kind of didn't have the same energy as what we were able to see right there at the beginning where players like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham were just so fired up because they were for the first time seeing Philadelphia show out for them and show out for the Super Bowl champs. Yeah, I, I also didn't get a chance to fully get to the art museum. I was just right there before. But again, like you mentioned, Brandon, just to be in that atmosphere... I mean, that's something you're going to tell your kids about because, again, yeah, the Eagles just won, and it's one of those things you have to cherish this moment because this maybe in our lifetimes could never happen again. Hopefully it will. But, again, a a possible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so didn't want to miss that. And I think the city of Philadelphia, um, it was 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 just a perfect afternoon. It really was from um, the people to the setting to, you know, the police and the organizers and ending it at the art museum. I just, I thought everything was great. It was perfect. And it was amazing. I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I loved every second of it. And and you mentioned the best day of your life, one of possibly one of the best days of your life. But, I mean, from the Super Bowl to now, just one of the best, I guess, times. Because it really still hasn't worn off, and you still think about it like, damn, like, Eagles just won the Super Bowl. So it, it's been kind of like a, a surreal week or two, really. And it, it, I hope it doesn't wear off anytime soon, because I'm really just enjoying it. Yeah, and to your point about just kind of cherishing this moment and taking it all in. Really special to hear everyone's stories about the people that they're able to share this championship with. And, you know, having this never have happened before. It ranges from people 80, 90 years old, like the guy that they show on all the broadcasts, down to kids who are climbing up trees this afternoon to get a better view and hopping on their parents' shoulders. It was pretty 
uh, cool and really awesome to be there with my family. Yeah. I was at the 2008 Phillies parade, and that was an electric atmosphere. I still remember coming home and carving pumpkins later that afternoon because it was Halloween and being there and hearing We Are the Champions Shout played out. Chase out. Utley. Chase Utley right there at the end, watching that as I was carving my pumpkin that night. And I don't think I'll forget this day in a similar way, remembering everything that went on while I was there and then catching dinner with the family and watching Jason Kelsey take the house down there. I didn't night. think anybody was going to top Chase Utley. And then Jason Kelsey Jason, hold my beer. Jason Kelsey. Speaking of hold your beer, did you see the one-handed catch by Doug Peterson? No. Uh, it was a, he caught a Miller light with one hand <laughs> while the bus was moving. It was the greatest thing ever. Please watch it on Twitter or whatever internet you have. Um, it was the greatest thing. And again, I, I'm not even exaggerating. Maybe because uh, there's a little bias here, but I'm a Philly fan. But um, the Clemson player had a really good post-game speech uh, when they won the national championship. But Jason Kelsey, this is one of the best speeches I've ever heard like in my lifetime. Ever. Ever. I mean, it was amazing. It was so good. Uh, I wanted to run through a wall after that. Uh, just amazing. And it's, it's just, just so ama- spot on. Like, that spot is on, what yeah. this team is. Yeah. Everybody and, doubted know, this team. Excuse Nobody the profanity on national television, <laughs> but like I learned some things from that speech that I didn't actually know about Howie Roseman, some of the players, and, and really just the, the thought process from day one to um, week, week 19, 20, or whatever that season was. So uh, that was so spot on. Those guys... They hear the noise. They hear all the criticisms of each individual player and reasons why this team can't succeed. Jason Kelsey, one of those guys who the past few years has really struggled individually Mm -hmm. and then this year returned to an all-pro level. He He said he was too small. He said Lane Johnson can't stay (laughs) off the juice. (laughs) He said David Mills can't cover. He said Nelson Aguilar can't catch. He said Jason Peters was too old. And he, he basically listed a reason why everybody couldn't succeed. And he said it was the whole team. Yeah. And that's th- what brought them together. And they were the only ones who believed in themselves. And they did it for this city and for the fans yep. that he was able to speak before this afternoon. And, I mean, he, he was having the time of his life. Earlier in the parade, he was singing a song which lyrics we uh. can't repeat on our airs <laughs> for, uh, you know, Jason Kelsey's not going to pay our fines. So... You know, he, he was he was living it up. Yeah. And he's not normally a guy to be that animated. We saw him after the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with the Rocky speech. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, you keep moving forward. Yeah. You know, that's how winning's done. He's screaming that. He was energetic after that. He was very emotional later after the Super Bowl. But today, he was raw emotion. And not just the only guy, but he, he was certainly the highlight of the whole afternoon. And real quick, I'll just add, I mean, he was saying all those things on top of his head about... You know, no, nothing scripted about his team, and he hit and his coach. His we gotta coach, hit. We gotta Howie hit the Howie Roseman about and and Jeff Lurie. I mean, he was hitting all those things. Twenty, thirty individuals. I don't know how many he mentioned, but off the top of his head, so they heard those things. And and lastly, he said they weren't underdogs for the last three games. They were underdogs since day one, since the season started. So I think it was great. An underdog is a hungry dog, and hungry dogs run faster. And that's part of the reason why this team is where it is today. And that. You know, they they put forth the effort to be there. They worked harder than everybody else. They're they're certainly talented, but those guys wanted it bad, and that's part of the reason why they were there. And just the Doug Peterson comments too that he made, calling out Mike Lombardi by name, who said that Doug Peterson was the least qualified coach in the NFL, and just a year later he's hoisting Lombardi Trophy. Um, Lombardi, Mike Lombardi himself said, you know, I was wrong, but you know, 
those guys don't forget those sorts of things, and it certainly fueled them all throughout the season when everybody counted that out, when they counted them out after Carson Wentz got hurt, when they beat the Falcons, and they still counted them out against the Vikings. They beat the Vikings, and they had no shot against the evil empire in the Super Bowl, and they did that too. Jake, how are you hanging in there? For those of you who don't know, Jake is a Patriots fan. You know, I'm hanging in there. Uh, it was just, it was good to watch the city of Philadelphia get to enjoy their their victory and see all the excited people. The parade did look probably one of the most crowded parades I've seen in my recent times looking at uh, Super Bowl parades. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the the X's and O's of the game later, so I'll keep that much out of it. But again, I'm excited for the, the city crowd. of Philadelphia and glad that they got to enjoy it. There's a large crowd. They didn't say how many yet. They said they, Are you getting the numbers right now? I'm looking up the numbers. They, so they said that in order to get a count of the numbers, they need to have their police helicopters in the air like throughout the How entire do they do day. That? And they kind of... I think it's like I a heat like, map. Mathematically, and then they kind of like, you know, figure yeah. out like, can, how many can people can see, fit yeah. into each section yeah. some area, along some Broad Street. Stuff. But right. it's upwards of... Um, I mean, the Phillies parade, was, I think it was around a million. So this, yeah, is, this is almost double that. I saw yeah, 750,000 for the Phillies. They expected a million, but they ended up getting okay. three quarters this of a is, million. This was... At least from my experience, and that could just kind of be where I was situated at both parades, this was much bigger. Yeah. I do have a question about it. Was there, for both of you, because you're both in different spots, for those of the pe- for people who weren't there or didn't have family who were there to talk about it, what was the fan-to-fan, person-to-person interaction like? Today, I didn't interact with as many fans as I Did you observe anything? In the past couple of days. Um I mean, it's it's typical Philly fans. Everybody was revved up, rambunctious. And I think that's why I didn't talk to as many people because everybody's just kind of jacked and waiting in anticipation for the guys to come down the street. Um, you know, So there's E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles chants everywhere, fly, Eagles fly everywhere, as you would expect. Um, but throughout the week leading up to the parade, I did have interaction with Eagles fans You know, at, at Wawa when I was getting my championship gear at Dick's. And those are kind of the moments where... You don't even really have to say anything to the other person. Like, I overheard this guy on the phone saying, all I need is to buy this shirt, and then I can die happy. And we kind of just made eye contact, and it's just like, you understand. Like, you get it. Everybody has been waiting for this for so long. Um, and I, I think an interesting point that was brought up earlier in the week, too, by uh, one of the Philly.com columnists. I'm not sure exactly who it was. But that some other organizations that have had similar droughts sort of built an identity out of being, like, the hapless loser, like, we're the Cubs, we always lose, we can never win the big one, and they kind of embrace that. And in Philly, it was kind of the opposite. They kind of always push back on it, and that's part of the reason why fans are always so frustrated and mad because they hold their team to such a high standard that throughout time when players don't perform, they get angry at the players, they get angry at ownership, they get angry at the front office, the coaches. Um, But then when you win, they get behind you and they show out for one of the biggest parades ever. Remember when we were talking last week, it, it, Jake and Amid, you guys were at the basketball game last week, so you weren't here. But Brandon, and this goes for you as well, Amid, we were talking about the feeling of a championship. Some of us are fortunate to experience many. Some of us are fortunate to experience one or two. Some of us, some of us are not fortunate to. Some of us are. Un, some of us have not experienced any. We'll put it that way. That's you, Teddy. That's me. <laughs> In the most innocent. I asked this in the most innocent way possible. What does it feel like? Do you want to go first? I'll go. It feels like it feels like you're a part of something, man. Like I feel like I won the championship, honestly, and I, I love how not only Philadelphia but Delaware has kind of adopted the Eagles as well. And 
um, to be part of that and not, you know, always rooting for Philadelphia teams. And it, it, it's different because obviously Delaware doesn't have professional sports. So growing up and watching all Philadelphia teams and then watching like Brian Dawkins be there because I was I, I was watching the 2004 Super Bowl and watching them lose and and like, you know, at, uh, what's uh, Chris Long wearing an Allen Iverson jersey? And I'm a huge basketball fan. And watching them lose in 2001, it's it's really like full circle. And like I just don't know how to explain it. But like Philadelphia as a whole, and and I guess I think it's the third uh, largest sports market in the United States or something like that. It's a great sports market in the United States. And and for everything just to tie in and all these legends to be there and and them playing all these you know replays of of not only again the Eagles but the Sixers and the Phillies. Uh, it, it truly feels like you won a championship, and if only they could, you know, give us a ring too. But somebody <laughs> mentioned it. It was actually uh, Jason Kelsey. Um, the biggest underdogs were the the fans. They waited 52 years for this, and I didn't wait 52 years for this. I only mm-hmm. waited 20, uh, 23. But yeah, I waited my whole life for this. So this is very important for me and uh, many people who have waited 52 plus years. So this is important. Could be your last, but we're gonna cherish it like it may never happen again. Yeah, this is what it's all about. This is why we go crazy over these little moves and analyze whether this move can put the Eagles ahead of this team or who's the favorite in the NFC East, who's the favorite in the NFC. And we talk about all these things all year round because you know it, it builds to this moment, and this moment rarely ever comes, but it's all of those times that the team falls short that makes this feel so great. So you think about all of the players that have come before this team. You think about all of the fans that have been through the ups and downs with the franchise. You think about the younger people who are just being indoctrinated to the sport and what this could mean for them and how this can be a lasting memory. And then you think about the players and coaches who are up on the buses going down Broad Street and how much time and effort they've put into the win and what it must feel like for them to have all of these people, million-plus people, come out and celebrate something that they did, but the city kind of taking it on as their own. It, it's a, you know, you don't, you, know, you weren't really a part of it. You didn't really do anything for it. You just watch, but you put so much emotional investment into it that makes it feel important. And that's what you do every week. That's why it hurts when your team loses and it feels so great when they win. And this year they won more often than not. Um, so, so you put something, you put real emotional stake into something meaningless. And then when, when the team pulls it all the way off, that capital is is brighter than it's ever been. And I think the more that you lose, the more that you fall short of that, the greater the payoff is at the end. So if you're a Washington, D.C. sports fan, if you go until you're 50 years old and the Washington Redskins win a championship or the Washington Wizards win a championship, it will feel that much brighter than... If you're a Steelers fan, it still feels great if the Steelers win a championship, but you've seen it happen before. As an Eagles fan, it will feel great if they win a championship next year but none will feel the same as this first one. I thought you put it a great way, and essentially, this is meaningless. Perspective here for a mm. second. It's essentially, for a fan, it is, until it becomes good, until the team wins, then everything you're doing is somehow better. But when the team loses, it's kind of, eh, team lost, you know, they're not as good. It's the idea of fair-weather fans, Right. Right, but I'm not. I'm not saying no. But but you, you don't, you you know don't get I mean? the payoff of it feeling so good if you don't put the sure. stake into it ever feeling bad. I mean, that was one of the most mind blowing things, Teddy. I think you've ever expressed <laughs> right there. I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around uh, what you thought of right there. Well, Brandon said it first. 
yeah, you put it in words that I didn't understand. I understood when Brandon said it. I got what he said. But uh, back, one of the things that Brandon said was when you said that, like, you, if it happens again, when it happens again, this will still be your first. This is your first championship thing. Like, I remember it wasn't even a championship for me, but when the Mets made it to the World Series, it was great and all, and they can make it to the World Series 100 times over, but that will be, like, the special one time. So that'll be the one that kind of sticks with you the most at all of them. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We'll transition now into the specifics of the game and what happened and kind of how it went down and where the teams go from here. But first of all, I don't think that when we were making our predictions and analysis last week, we would have anticipated the offense being as potent as it was in this game. Yeah, nobody sat here and said this game's going to have the most yardage ever in an NFL game, postseason, regular season, and have one punt. There was one punt in this game. There were two turnovers. The Patriots scored on every single drive in the second half except the fumble strip sack by Brandon Graham. Only, had, only good play we made. If you had said that Tom Brady throws for 505 passing yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions, you would have said the Patriots won the game easily. He's the first quarterback to ever do that and not win a game postseason, regular season, to have 500-plus, three touchdowns, no picks. This was This game was out of sorts from the beginning. I thought that if the Eagles won, it would be a defensive matchup. Again, that was not the case. I thought the same thing with the Vikings. And then I thought that the Patriots could blow the Eagles out, but the Eagles D would keep it close and moderately low scoring. And both of those things uh, did not come, well, it was close, but the, the low scoring did not come true. And I think from a neutral perspective, it was probably a pretty exciting game to watch if you didn't have a strong rooting interest. With the rooting interest, it was extremely stressful the entire time but still an excellent game from start to finish. And two very good teams that showed why they're both the number one seeds in their respective conferences. Carson Wentz went down mid-December, and during the show that we had, that was on a Sunday in L.A., we had their show the following Thursday, and we're talking about Nick Foles. Hey, who can he do? What, What can he do? And the overall tone that we had accumulated here was that well, you know, the defense is good, but at the end of the day, even you, Brandon, said, I just don't see him getting by these teams. Uh, no, I would like to clarify that I cage-raged about how everyone was saying their season was over and talked up Nick Foles. Brandon didn't say the season was over. No, I know. He I, said his. It, it was difficult for him to see a game like this. But when you said all of us as a whole were like, ah, I don't, so I don't you, really see. Jake and Teddy, of the four of us, I think were the most optimistic about what Nick Foles brought the Eagles. You both had the mindset that... He's not Carson Wentz, but if you have to pick a backup quarterback across the league, he's at the top of the list as who you would pick. And I sat here and said, Nick Foles is terrible. This is a travesty. Well, because for for, for two weeks he was. Because he was terrible against Oakland. He barely played against Dallas, but he was pretty terrible against Dallas too. And you think, okay, maybe they can squeak out a game or two with the defense. But then what we saw in the final two games was completely different from that. But I was 100% wrong. In, in and I said that earlier against the when they just beat the Vikings. Now I'm sorry, Nick Foles. I had little to no faith in him, and he brought it, and now he's a legend in Philadelphia. But I was completely wrong after that Carson Wentz injury. And you said during that conversation, if he wins, let alone makes the Super Bowl, he will be that legend. Yeah, and there's a whole conversation that we can have about what happens to him from here. But in the current moment, there's not a guy in Philadelphia that doesn't love what Nick Foles is, who he is, what he brought to this team. We can talk about the Philly special play where he goes over to Doug Peterson on a oh, fourth a and goal from the one-yard line. And yeah. says, Coach, Philly, Philly. Peterson takes a pause, nods his head. 
Foles goes back, said, calls yeah. the Philly special. Yeah, let's do it. And Nick Foles catches a touchdown on a fourth and goal from the one-yard line. This was incredible stuff. He had, uh, I mean, there were some throws in this game that he made that Carson Wentz two wasn't making. Down. He went for it twice on fourth down. And, and really two great plays. And the fourth and five, um, really to keep that game alive. He's incredible. I think the five, fourth and five was a more impressive yeah, play. I don't want to take away from his touchdown catch. It was a great catch. But mm-hmm. I think the fourth and five was more impressive. I don't know the play call there, but Zach Ertz had about a 10-foot radius around him where there wasn't a soul. And that's from your own 40-yard line. If mm-hmm. you don't pick up the Only first five down, minutes left. you're giving the Patriots back the ball, and they haven't been stopped yet. They're going to score a touchdown and go up eight. And then you're going to be down eight, needing a touchdown and a two-point conversion with, like, maybe two minutes left if you're lucky. But the Patriots will probably find a way to run as much time off the clock as they can. But they go for it. They pick it up. From there on out, it's four-down territory. They go down and get the Ertz touchdown that puts them ahead. And then the strip sack, the field goal to put the game away. 28 for 43, 378 for Foles, three touchdowns, one interception. Tom Brady on the other side, 28 for 48, 505, three touchdowns. Let's diverge for a second and go the Patriot route. Jake, Josh McDaniels will be back as the offensive coordinator after what appeared like he was going to be hired in Indianapolis. We'll get to that in a few minutes. However, from the Brady perspective, how do you break down the way he played in this game, and what do you see next? I think it's, I'm not going to say the best Brady game we're going to see in a while, but that was a 505-yard showing where he hit not only Chris Hogan, but Danny Amendola in Basically, the Corey Clement touchdown that Foles had, where he had about a one-foot radius to drop the ball. Tom Brady did that against Amendola. He had it on Hogan. Even the Gronk play right in the middle, where Gronk blew the coverage. Uh, This was one of the best games we're going to see. 505 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a loss. We saw he was a little shaky. He was missing Gronk on a few runs. He even missed Deion Lewis once out of the backfield. But I think because of the nature of the game and how many points were being scored, they just had to go straight-up pass-heavy. So they just went all out. Tom Brady got to put his own plays out there. The Eagles' defense wasn't really doing much, and the Patriots' defense wasn't really doing much. So it had to be a straight shootout. I think this, out of the all the Super Bowls that Tom Brady's been in, or even playoff games that Tom Brady's played in, this might be one of, if not the best playoff showing we've had so far from Tom Brady. Wasn't enough. And that just goes to show what, what he was up against on the other side because the Patriots' offense was excellent. The Eagles' defense hadn't had a game like that the whole season. They had had games similar to that, but they didn't let anybody blow right through them. But at the end of the game, when they needed to make a play, they did. So to me, and I'm sure you guys agree, at the end of the day here, the person in which de- who deserves the most credit, not that we want to isolate individuals here, but it comes down to what the Eagles' offense did, led by Nick Foles. Yeah, that's why he's the MVP, because you ask your backup quarterback to match Tom Brady touchdown for touchdown in the second half, which hardly anybody can do. I mean, Tom Brady, there was a sense of destiny that they were at least going to get three points every time the Patriots got the ball in the second half. They have that Gronk drive to start the second half where he's making catches over linebackers and safeties and just completely dominating, and there was nothing the Eagles could do to stop it. So you ask Nick Foles, okay, they're going to score. You have to continue to score to keep this lead, and he somehow found a way to do it, albeit with a lot of good skill guys around him. Alshon Jeffrey, a great first half. Corey Clement, career high in receiving yards. Zach Ertz in the second half was huge. They had somewhat of a running game going. wasn't great, but when they needed those chunks and they needed to take a lot of time and to keep Tom Brady on the sideline, 
They got it to third down. Nick Foles found a way to convert the first down. 10 of 16 from third on third down, which is Wentz and That's what the Eagles were doing all season before Wentz got hurt. And yeah, he, he's MVP for a reason. The defense makes the one play. Brandon Graham gets a lot of credit for that, as he should. But, I mean, that's that's Nick Foles, your backup quarterback, winning the game for you on the biggest stage in his, his best game ever. Over the last 15 years, only five of the MVPs in the Super Bowl were not quarterbacks. You look at a couple wide receivers. You had Deion Brand for the Patriots, Heinz Ward, Steelers, Santonio Holmes, Steelers, Malcolm Smith, Seahawks, linebacker, Von Miller, linebacker, Broncos. And the other names that you see on here, a lot of Mannings, Peyton, Eli, Rodgers, Brady. We got our Flacco on here. I don't want to incite an argument because we know where that could go with us. And then Foles. Is this the most... Un- and Nick Foles or Jeff Flacco. <laughs> is, is, Foles, is Foles the most improbable Super Bowl MVP in recent history? I wouldn't. I mean, to say improbable, I don't think that really fit. Based Maybe on that's it. not the correct way well, to describe tough, it. Because it's like... You saw week, you week saw, ten, it's improbable. Right, but you see, but his coming playoff, into you the game, game, you would say if the Eagles win, you probably need a really good game from Nick Foles. Even though this was his best game. Yeah, but I don't think. I mean, I don't think anybody expected him to do what he did though in the Super Bowl. Like, you think he said, "Great game against the Vikings, best game of his career." Will he ever do that again? And he did. But so, so I guess leading into the game, I'd say yes, probable. But coming into the season, no way. Eagles winning the Super Bowl is not very probable, but Nick Foles being the MVP as your backup quarterback, you certainly never see that coming. Transition right now into a note that connects these teams, and we're going to project over the next five minutes where these teams are headed next season. Josh McDaniel screwed over the Colts. We can argue whether that's professional, whether that's unprofessional, because I got into this whole... You know how you read one tweet and then it reads you to the... And then you click on another one, idea. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I was reading an exchange. They You're call one it, of those guys. I was. <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar with Twitter, they call exchanges threads. Yeah. It's where you just reply to the next person. But I was reading an exchange in which two people were arguing whether <laughs> this was unprofessional. Seems extremely unprofessional. So now he comes back. So New England gets a little bit of consistency. The Colts are back to square one. They don't have a coach. It's now February. They're way behind. Are the Patriots? We'll start, them. Are, we'll start, start with them. Are they in a position... To have another season like this again? Is there anything that makes you think otherwise? I have no doubt that we're, they are going to be, well, they're already five, six to one odds in the Super Bowl. Uh, they're the most likely to return. Uh, I don't have any doubt uh, you're still going to have Tom Brady come back. The biggest question mark is Rob Gronkowski. I don't really have doubt that he's not going to return. He neither confirmed or denied in the press conference that he's going to return. He kind of said he's just going to evaluate where he is at right now, and then I'll make the decision according to plan. The defense did not look good, but at the same time, we had injuries. I'm sure every team had injuries. Um, I think that the Patriots will be back. I think it's Tom Brady and it's Bill Belichick. Um, I think that's fair to say that they'll be back uh, again, right back with the underdogs with the 6-1 and one, uh, Vegas favorites. But... Yeah, I don't see why Tom Brady and the Patriots won't be back. I hate to be that uh, that guy to start it is the dynasty ending. Um, I'll put it this way: Tom Brady's not getting any better. He's not gonna get any. He's not gonna get. Well, he's he's gotten better. I think every season uh, since he had a good game. I wouldn't say that. I will admit. I will. I will pull the stats up. I'm not saying this just because I was rooting for the Patriots. He had but a great game. He's but had a great last couple of years. I think Tom Brady's gotten 
better and better stat-wise every year since like 2013. I mean, he had a pretty mediocre December for looking at that. I mean, uh, and I'll let you guys look at the stats while I talk, but yeah, I, I think that he's going to stay consistent. I'm not saying that you know the downfall will start, but again, I don't think he will get any better. But with that being said, I think the Patriots and with that Bill Belichick system being in place, wouldn't be surprised if they're back in the Super Bowl next year. Or, you know, with a nice deep run. But with that being said, also, for the Eagles side of things, I think they also have some key guys locked until 2020. So I also expect them to make a nice run as well. But um, I think both teams are in a good position, and Vegas will agree with that, to be right where they need to be next year. I'll just get on my high horse a little bit and just say that from now until the end of time, injuries are no longer an excuse for a team not yeah. being elite. They, I think the Eagles took that off 100%. the board. There are probably other teams that you could point out in history as having similar success with those high-level injuries. But you're talking about a team that lost the MVP, Carson Wentz. They lost their starting left tackle, who was a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle. They lost their middle linebacker. Seven-time They Pro lost Bowl their best be special exact. teamer. They've lost their punt returner. They lost their kicker week one. I- injuries you can no longer point to and say a team didn't win because they guys had guys hurt. The Eagles still found, out, found a way to have the best season in their franchise history without their franchise quarterback. That being said, the Patriots, I agree with what you guys just said, they're in a position to still be the best team in an AFC conference that might have a few surprise teams, but overall I think it's still pretty weak compared to the NFC. I mean, I'm also not excusing the Patriots for injuries. I mean, No, I'm just saying you can say, you know, they could be better, but I mean, the Eagles won a Super Bowl and they have a potential to have been a better team than they were in the Super Bowl with those guys that were hurt. I feel it's a generic statement for every team that they can be better if all players were immune to That's injury. why I'm saying I mean, don't don't we don't need to say that because that's off the table now. I think what when Teddy asked like can they be returners, I when I talked about Gronk and I talked about Hightower, which was the number one injury that I was kind of leading to, because Teddy was asking if they're contenders or not, that's why I'm saying based on those injuries, because if Hightower is not there, that's a hit. Same with Carson Wentz. If Carson Wentz we saw it in the regular that's, but, season. But, but what I'm saying is they can be Super Bowl contenders, but if they have injuries along the way, that shouldn't excuse them from not achieving. Like, if your expectation for the Patriots next season is going to the Super Bowl, if they have injuries along the way, you shouldn't change your expectation now. I think based on what you, the Eagles you're did. going, and I agree with it just solely based off what the Philadelphia Eagles just did, and I, would, I wouldn't take away from that because we just saw a backup replace perhaps the MVP of the NFL with Carson Wentz going down. But if we look in history of all of these years and we look at big name injuries we'll see most teams take a step down we'll see most teams tank we'll see a lot of teams drop in the rankings yes i agree with both of you you're both right this the what the eagles did is something that we don't see every year so brandon you're saying because of this it's not an ex- you can't use injuries as an excuse because we've seen it happen jake's saying typically this doesn't happen so for the most part yeah and like next year if Let's think of a let's think of a similar quarterback to Carson Wentz. Can we uh, Tom Brady. throw one out? Tom Brady, Drew Brees. Let's say the Saints beat the Vikings. Let's say the Saints beat the Vikings, beat the Eagles. Drew Brees went down. Whoever the Saints backup is, I don't even know who it is. And let's say they go all the way. That would be shocking, right? So this, like we said, hey, if Nick Foles goes to the Super Bowl and wins, he's a legend because nobody, at least right here, when we were talking about this, it wasn't this this expectation as when Carson Wentz was here. So this is something that we don't typically see, which is why it is an anomaly. But like you said, 
just happened. It, like you said, it happened. Just so, happened, yeah. So if you've got some team next year who loses their starting quarterback and all their fans say, eh, he's gone, okay, we'll look last year and see what happened. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We couldn't get through the Super Bowl parade without more NFL news coming out. About halfway through the parade, news comes out that 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who only started what I believe seven games. Seven games. Seven games. Seven and oh. We have no evidence that Jimmy Garoppolo is not the greatest quarterback of all time. I'll just put that one out. Five years, $137.5 million. Now, here's the thing. Is is this... Let's consider. Is he worth this much money? No. But the market makes it that this guy is worth this much money. And you look at what Aaron Rodgers is going to get. What Oof. was the money you get on Garoppolo? Five and years, 137 and a half. Okay. Most so now, if he's getting yeah. that, Cousins is going to get at least that. But is he? You have to think. You have to think. Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather have Garoppolo than Cousins? Long term, depends depend on the team. Like it's a good, if, it's a if, good question. If Cousins is going to like a Jacksonville, Jacksonville would Garoppolo rather have a more Cousins. potential. It depends on the team he goes to. If, he, if they're going to a win now team, I'd probably take Cousins just because of his experience. But who's who? What win now team can give either one of these guys 150 million? Besides maybe Jacksonville if they're good on contract. They already said they want Bortles. Yeah, they're right. gonna, they, you got to no. stick with Bortles because he got you the conference yeah. championship. There's like, no other team. It's, that. it's a good question because, but but the but the, the here's the thing: the Niners took a risk. That the Redskins didn't want to take. If it pays, if it doesn't pay off, yeah. Well, that's not going to work out for them. But if it works, I mean, how much more would you want to see from Garoppolo before you say he's our franchise guy? It's a good question. Like they traded a seven second round pick. Is seven games second round pick. He comes in there, wins five games to close the season. He's your guy. Commit to him. You don't have to worry about quarterback for the next five years. And if he's not the guy eventually, well, you're not going to make it to the championship anyway. So why? Fiddle back and forth with is your guy is you not lock into him. Especially worry about the rest of your team. Pathetic draft class as well as it's coming up this year. I don't think it's that's that really great. harsh. Harsh. Pathetic is a little harsh, but it's there's no one that I am making moves to take. I mean, oh, Darnold, I, you can Rosen. make some moves for a Baker Mayfield, or Saquon yeah. Barkley, depending on where. But again, when you when you rather have Garoppolo based on yeah. what you see. And yeah. that's the question: is yeah. are you going to find a is there a Garoppolo or a Wentz or a Golf in this draft? I don't think. And there a is. lot of people have said no, oh. there's not. Yeah. But speaking of Jimmy Garoppolo, I, I need somebody to have this one recorded. We're going to save this. Uh, in this season or next season, Jimmy Garoppolo will be the NFL passing leader. I'm putting it out there right now. That's not a super hot take. Jimmy Garoppolo will be the NFL passing leader either this year or next year. It's like one on the spicy meter. That receiving core is not elite, but it's good enough. They have a one of the ageless players in the backfield that you can just lean on for, I think, forever. I think Carlos hot. Carl's eyes, his legs are just never going to stop working. Uh, that Jimmy Garoppolo, he's going to go for 4,000 yards his first year, and if that's not I good want, enough for passing leader, next year. I want to know how much of that 137.5 is guaranteed. Probably I, like $12. No, I think it. I think he actually is the biggest no, guaranteed and guaranteed. the biggest per year. I mean, if Alex year. Smith is getting $71 million guaranteed yeah. from Washington, which is the rumor out there, then Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get more than $71 million. Well, so he has, yeah, so it came out that it's official five-year, 137.5. Let's see if he has guaranteed money, and it's 74 guaranteed. All right, yep. that's fair. A little bit more than the rumor that Alex Smith is going to get from Washington. The 49ers are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7th. They had the 7th best odds to win Super Bowl 53. That was a little absurd. And, and, that's a little hot. Like, okay, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, I didn't agree with that. I, one. I know we started seven games and they had a really good finish and they they, they beat they beat some good teams. But 
am am I being overdramatic here by saying that the that that people are putting a little yeah. too much into that? What's Houston for odds? Right, right behind under. him. Right okay. behind him. It's gonna be a hot pick to say that the 49ers go worst to first, or what? You know, I don't know if they were worst, but they that they go from the bottom of their division to the top. It's gonna be they like, are they would be worst. Okay, it's gonna be like everybody who was in on Jacksonville maybe two years ago when they first had those young receivers, and you thought Blake Bortles still had potential to be an elite quarterback. This might be a year or two early. That being said, there are always teams that surprise you and jump into the playoff conversation. Who sat here last year and said Minnesota would be in definitively over Green Bay and Detroit, or that Dallas would not be in and that Philadelphia would jump over them, or that Jacksonville would be in over Houston and Tennessee. Some people might have made those predictions, but those weren't the overwhelming thoughts. So somewhere along the line, some team is going to jump into the playoffs that wasn't in the playoffs this year. And I think the 49ers are going to be that hot team that most people pick to be five or six seed wild card. But to me, to me, I'm kind of with you, Teddy. It might be a little early on that. I think they have a lot more holes to fill outside of the quarterback position before you can talk about that. Well, number one, the draft is going to be important for them, obviously. But here's why I'm okay with that top seven. Look, if you think they're going to make the playoffs, you're saying that the you're saying that the 49ers are a top 12 team. Okay, I think that the 49ers are a top 12 team. I don't think they're that far off. Um, you look at their you look at their division. I don't think Seattle is looking threatening next year, and I don't think Arizona is looking that threatening next year. So I don't think it's ridiculous to put them in a top 10, top 12 again, a playoff spot um, in the NFL. I don't I don't think that's too high. Um, it could be a little bit lower, maybe closer into the double-digit range. But again, six teams in the playoffs each conference. I think that's—I don't think that's ridiculous. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. The Cleveland Cavaliers were extremely active. Speculation that they needed to make a move based on how poorly they'd been playing. DM of the year, LeBron James. There they, was so many good tweets on this. The tweet of like J.R. Smith, like blinking and like rubbing his eyes. The one with his eyes squinting, like when J.R. Smith comes to practice and sees the nine new people that they're going to be standing on the sidelines. They dumped everybody. Let's, Nobody was safe. Let's talk about who they dumped for those who are unaware. First of all, they got rid of Isaiah Thomas, Channing Fry, and. Sent them to L.A., the Lakers, that is. With the first-round pick. Sure. And they brought in Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. That's one. Number two, Dwayne Wade goes back to the Heat. What a story. The Cavs get a second-round pick. And number three, a three-team trade with the Jazz and the Kings. Shumpert and Joe Johnson go to the Kings. Derek Rose and Jay Crowder move from Cleveland to Utah. And Rodney Hood and George Hill go to Cleveland. There's a lot of things going on here. It certainly takes a minute to process this, but on first glance, what do you think? I think they just made LeBron James happy, and I think LeBron James will play better because they will have more energy with him. I don't think this trade, their backbone of this trade was not to make the team better. I think the backbone of this trade was to make LeBron happy. I think they did just that. We're going to see a better Cleveland Cavaliers team, and we'll see them again late in the playoffs. I think they basically, what happened was they got Rodney Hood, George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance were basically a first rounder. I mean, they were trying to get rid of Isaiah, not trying to get rid of Isaiah Thomas, but they were trying to get rid of Channing Fry. And Isaiah Thomas was not really fitting with the Cavaliers, and they got rid of both of them. And they got four decent players, at least you could say two decent players, good players, for really just a first rounder. And uh, you hate to but think 
of the future of maybe is this enough to get LeBron to stay? Probably not, but this is this is enough to get the Cleveland Cavaliers back on track and make a finals run and compete against what we all think would be the Boston Celtics. The counter to both to what both of you said is that if you're Cleveland and you have no assurances from LeBron, which they don't, if he leaves after this season, you now all of a sudden have a lot more money on the books into the future, which is going to limit your flexibility this offseason. They hold on to the Brooklyn first-round pick, which we talked a lot about. Would they trade that middle-of-the-top-ten pick for DeAndre Jordan or somebody who'd be a big difference-maker? Jordan was probably the only name available that fits that category. They decided not to do that. But what they did was take on a lot of money in the form of George Hill, who has not been nearly as good this season as he was last season, and Jordan Clarkson. Now, can these four players, Clarkson, Nance, Hood, and Hill, help the team right now? I think they will. And I think by almost overhauling the roster, you do add a lot more energy to what LeBron James uh, has not been showing. He's not been playing with energy, particularly on the defensive end. I think you add defense, which this team desperately needs. Isaiah Thomas gives you probably more offense than Hood and Hill. But he gives you absolutely no defense. He's the worst defensive guard in the league. So I think they're better this year. But if you don't win it all this year, if you can't get LeBron to come back next year, I think you're put in a worse position than you would have been if you had stayed put. Because Isaiah Thomas's money comes off the books. You'd have more flexibility to make some moves, to build around whoever you get in the top 10. That being said, they need to do whatever they can to get LeBron James. So I think that they they made some moves to try to make this one last competitive team and then see if LeBron can stay. But moving forward, I think they're in a worse position should LeBron leave. LeBron James also kind of, and I saw a, a lovely conspiracy theory thread on Twitter about this, if you look at what the LA Lakers lost and gained in overall of this trade, they they, are, they, won, they really won, I the, believe. The yeah. Lakers, I think, got a better end of the deal. Sure. And I, I their market... Their market, their cap space, their everything. They cleared fifteen million. They cleared it's fifteen empty. million, and they already had enough to sign two max players. This so summer. now I think that opened up a door that I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional. It's intentional. That is now so much more appe- mm-hmm. appealing for LeBron James to go to because that now has a lot of cap space. He has really no reason or no threat of mm-hmm. money going to the Lakers. That market's budding. That's a good young team. Yeah, it, LeBron's they up could to him. offer LeBron James the highest contract can, in the history of the NBA. If, if they can, if they can move off Luol Deng's money w- using their first round pick, if they can trade that to somebody, which is going to be tough because not a lot of teams have cap room this summer. If they can move off that, they'll have at least two max contract slots, and they could maybe try to manufacture a third, a third like mid. Yeah. So if you're the Lakers, in a perfect world, those two slots are LeBron and Paul George, mm-hmm. and then maybe you can work something else to get a third guy. Maybe you put Lonzo in a side and trade to get yet another big name in there. Or you Rick, know, it, Ricky Rubio's they, they, they for Yeah, they work yeah. for somebody else who's not to the same level as Paul George and LeBron, but somebody else, a third guy. And now you have a pretty good team. You know, we can talk later on if this is a team that can beat the Warriors or the Rockets, but it's a better team than what Cleveland had yesterday. We'll see what Cleveland can be after the, these moves, but it's a better team than Cleveland had yesterday with an injured love, with a terrible IT right now, and a really struggling J.R. Smith. A few takeaways for the, N- for the Eastern Conference and the NBA. You look at what the, the Detroit Pistons did last week with Blake Griffin. They've now won five in a row, and at this point, it certainly looks like for the first time, and it feels a couple years, that the eighth seed in the East is going to be above 500. 
So there is an improvement in the East. Right now, it's the Sixers right there tied with the Pistons. And then ahead of them, you got the Heat. Let's think about the Heat for a second. Dwayne Wade goes back, gives him a veteran to blend into a team that somehow is, is playing pretty well with Eric Spolstra and a lot of kind of no-names down there. Of course, they've got good players, but relative to some of these other teams, then you've got Pacers who have played well and the Bucks with an improvement, and then you got those top four teams that we've seen over the last couple of years, Wizards, Cavs, Raptors, Celtics, 4-1 to one in that order. Overall, it feels like a more competitive conference than we've had over the last couple seasons. Based on that, is there the potential? Because I remember when we talked in April last couple seasons, oh, the 8's the eight's not going to be the 1, the 7's the not going to be the 2. Not to get into this too early, but do, do these trades, and based on the way these teams have been playing, do you sense more parity in the East? The only way that it, to get more specific, if, if a 7 or an 8 is going to be the 1 or a 2, I think the only two seven or eights, hypothetically, that play right now, the Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors, we don't know how the Cavs are going to do, we don't know how the Wizards are going to finish, but if it's going to be Celtics-Raptors, I think the Philadelphia 76ers can actually beat like the Toronto Raptors, and if you get a good stretch, they I'm not saying they can beat the Celtics, but they can give the Celtics a run for their money, because this Sixers team, Joel Embiid played his first back-to-back, he and he played well in both, he had 24... And in like 36 minutes of a, in the second game, so he's getting better. Then you have Ben Simmons. You have, I think, a good enough team to beat the Toronto Raptors team. I think this league has become a bit stronger. I think the thing about Miami is they bring in Dwayne Wade. They don't. They they're they're probably the one team that was in, in desperate need of a shooting guard, and they have a veteran. And they have a, a guy who's been there his what whole career. What does this mean for Wade also? I think yeah. this was more moving him to yeah. a quote-unquote burial ground for him. Let him get Is to he Miami. Done in the next two, three years? Let him wrap his career up soon. Let him mm-hmm. end in Miami. I think that was, I think that was I, a big thing I think the it. tweets were great of him just like notebook tweets. If you love him, let him go. Yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. To your point yeah. on the Sixers, though, I'm all about trust in the process. Yeah. You guys know that. But... They've been horrible against Toronto this year. They're 0-3. DeMar DeRozan tears them up because they don't have a wing defender that can hang with him. And they haven't been consistent enough with three to keep pace. I think DeRozan would tear them up. And I think Boston's really good, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... I think there's, I think there's parity. I'm going to say if there's a team at the bottom that upsets a top team, it's Detroit. If they can keep this run going with Blake Griffin because they have a little bit of that antithesis to what Boston and Toronto do. They have a little bit more of the bully ball in Drummond and Griffin, two bigs that can hang on the floor and beat you down low. And Toronto's going smaller. Boston, sometimes they're going smaller. They added Greg Monroe, so we'll see how their rotation adjusts after that. But if they have Al Horford at five and Detroit's playing Griffin and Drummond, that's a tough matchup for Boston. I think Detroit has a lot riding for them. We'll also see how Detroit does when Reggie Jackson, their point guard, comes back from injury. How can he get reacclimated into the offense, and does he work well with Blake Griffin? Is there any team at the top of the East that can guard, and I say guard loosely, but guard Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond? I mean, going from the bottom of the East, the Sixers, the Heat, Cleveland. the Pacers, they don't have a big two. Like, Cleveland can do it. If Thompson and Love are healthy. Toronto probably can't do it. The Celtics. How much can Al Horford and Mark? Maybe Marcus Smart. But like the thing is, like they they don't maybe need to. Like, right, you like, need to you stick need, two down there and yeah, call it a day. Like they can they can beat you in different ways. Right, they can like, shoot the ball. They can move the ball. You could especially say for Toronto. who can cover Kyrie Irving. Right. Well, I would because Detroit when 
they just treat Avery Bradley. Right. They, like, they, what, they just is, gave up a guy. But I think if those that those big two, because that becomes one of the two best, one of the best two big men with this like Anthony Davis, yeah. Marcus uh, Cousins yeah. situation. Yeah, he's hurt too. Yeah, yeah. so that's that's going to be a team to look out for. Real, real quick before we go to break, what are the LA Clippers doing? They trade Griffin. They don't do any. They, they extend William Lou Williams. They have DeAndre Jordan. Thoughts on that team? Nah, I thought the rebuild was going to start, but I think um, the logo and and Mr. Microsoft have different plans. We'll see what happens with that. It's a little unusual to see um, Drummond, or excuse me, uh, DJ stay and Lou Williams get signed. Yeah, I don't really see much I don't get coming it. out of the team. They have a great six-man, though. Don't forget that. Bottom line is, we wanted it more. All the players, all the coaches, the front office. Jeffrey Lurie, everybody wanted it more. And that's why we're up here today, and that's why we're the first team in Eagles history to hold that freaking trophy. Center of the football universe, let me hear you bark a little. Hey, we want to break a world record right now. We want to get the loudest. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles chant of all time. Lane, kick it off, baby. A one, a two, a three, Eagles! 